Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The text we consider this morning is from the epistle reading, St. Paul's words from 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He said, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Gladly, therefore, I'll boast all the more of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So far, our text, dear friends, and our Lord Jesus. Some time ago, I was paging through a reference book that I have, and, and I came across one of those ironies that you find sometimes. Searching through the S's, paging through the S's for the word suffering, I found that ironically it was preceded immediately by a word that didn't at all seem like it should be near at all that close to it, the word suffering. Immediately preceding was the word success. Ironic, a coincidence I'm sure. Of course this was the same reference book that placed the word marriage right next to the word martyr. A coincidence I'm sure, of course. But suffering right next to the word success, ironic. Ironic it was to see these two words that were so close together when they seemed to us to be worlds apart. Success, as we think of it, is strength. It's power. It's holding the cards. It's being in control of your health, being in control of your wealth, of your life. It's making the decision you want made when you want to make it, having the means to make it. Success as we're familiar with it, as the world is familiar with it. Success comes from rising up, not from falling down. It comes from climbing the corporate ladder, attaining upward mobility in the housing market or in the social strata. Success is self-confidence, it's self-reliance. Success is having it, not needing it. Needing it, that's, that sounds like suffering. And suffering seems weak. Weak because it means that you're not holding the cards, or at least it means that you've got no choice but to hold the cards that you're dealt. Suffering is when your health and your wealth are far beyond your control. Suffering means being powerless to dictate decisions. It means that we can't be and we aren't self-reliant. It means that we've got to rely on someone else, trust in someone else to be our strength for us. Success in suffering or in weakness. It doesn't seem in this land of rugged individualism. Sure doesn't seem to be the American way. It's not the human way. But it is God's way. Success in suffering, that's God's way. It was God's way with Paul, as we heard in our epistle reading, with Paul in, in permitting a thorn in his flesh to afflict him. The Greek word there is, it was translated harassed. It, it means to, to beat him, to strike him, to, to treat him literally, to treat him roughly, to rough him about a bit. Paul prayed three times, we're told. Maybe you've prayed 33 times and more about your thorn, that it should leave, but the Lord's loving answer no, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace sufficient. Grace sufficient. That means it's never too little. 
It also means it's never too much. Remember why Paul received his thorn in the flesh? He said, lest I, I be conceited, lest I be puffed up, elated because of these revelations he'd received, because of the blessings of God in his life, lest he become too conceited, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. No, my grace is sufficient for you. Never too little, never too much, just right, just enough in perfect measure for you, he says. My grace sufficient for you individually. And no more and no less than what's needed for God who loves you dearly to keep you right where he needs, he knows that you need to be. My grace is sufficient for you for my power, he says, is made perfect in weakness. Made perfect in weakness. There the Greek word is tetelestai. It means to, to arrive at its intended end. To find its finish. It's the same one word declaration on this weekend of, of declarations of independence. His, God's one word declaration of your independence as it were from sin. He spoke on the cross when com- he completed on the cross his task of atoning for our sins. sins and he cried out tetelestai. It is finished. It's accomplished. My task has found its end to Telestai. Well, with the same word, the risen Lord here in our text. In our text, the, the risen Lord tells you, my strength, my power has arrived at its intended end in your weakness. Because you see, the stage upon which God works his strength is feebleness. One has said it like this, when God's strength has brought us to the point where we're utter weakness, then it's accomplished its task. And its task is finished. And you think about that. Think about in our own lives how he dismantles the proud towers of our own self-confidence, self-reliance medically. He makes us lean upon treatments and daily dosages. Financially, we depend upon paychecks and therefore our jobs, and therefore our employers, and therefore the demand for our jobs. And you take these away, even for a time. You take these away and we realize just how reliant we are. You take away the security of a calm sea of Galilee. And those disciples we heard about two weeks ago, they quickly find out how reliant they are. You take away the health of a synagogue leader's 12-year-old daughter. And how quickly Jairus, as we heard of last week, recalls how reliant he is. You remind us, in the week, in this past week or so, as men in their strength are brought down to the weakness of death with Michael Jackson, with, with the pitch man, the OxyClean man, Billy Mays, both 50 years old, in the strength of their years, or just yesterday, with the sudden alarming death of Steve McNair, the former quarterback, 36 years old, quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. And how quickly we're reminded that every breath breathed is drawn not from our strength, but in spite of our weakness. You give us stormy seas, you give us a brush with death, or a thorn in the side. And we realize just how weak we really are and how much we do rely upon God. Especially do we in spiritual things. Where even as 
as we would transgress a single point of God's law, says James, then we violated the whole thing. You hear that? And, and then do you hear Jericho's walls of your self-security crumbling at the trumpet blast of God's law? Because that's what God's law does to our self-securities. Breaks them down, reminds every last one of us how weak we are and how beyond the strength of our grasp eternal life is. So at the end of the day, what are we left to say but simply that we're perfectly weak? We're perfectly weak. And then, when God's brought us to own up to our total reliance upon Him, then His dismantling power has reached its end. Martin Luther says, give thanks for those thorny days. Give thanks for the harsh days on which you feel roughed about and through which God is driving you to himself. Embrace those precious days, he says. And here's how he says it. He says we should, we should not fear harsh treatment, but prosperity and good days we should fear. Because he says these may harm us more than fear and persecution. For the sins, for example, he says, that oppress me, they cause me anguish, and so I persist more and more earnestly in prayer and in crying out to God. And in this way, faith and righteousness, he says, becomes constantly stronger. This is what St. Paul means when he says, strength becomes stronger through our weaknesses. What thorn afflicts you? Whatever it is, be sure that God's permitted it for good reason so that through it he'll, he'll compel you to give up on your own strength. And as Luther says, persist more and more earnestly in prayer and in crying out to God for your strength and for your rescue. Thorns are good. Thorns, in fact, are good even for the church. Being buffeted, afflicted, roughed about in the hot flames of controversy, that's good for the church. It's the refining process that God uses to separate the dross from the pure gold of orthodoxy, galvanizing the true confession in God, glorifying and in faith echoing creeds and confessions born in the crucible of, of controversy. In fact, Luther too would remark this. He said, if the devil were wise enough to just be silent and let the gospel be preached, he'd sustain less harm, he says. For when the gospel's not attacked, it rusts and has no opportunity to reveal its power and its might. And so be grateful in every respect. Be grateful for our thorns, uncomfortable as they may be. They're divinely willed weaknesses for your own good through which God works. And never did God work through weakness quite like when the stable-born Messiah, crowned with our thorns, with our sin, was nailed to his cross, an emblem of weakness, seemingly so far from success, bleeding blood like weak men do, crying out like weak men will, such weakness it would seem, so far from success. And yet, and yet in that, weak, in that weakest moment of all, 
The strength of God was made perfect when from the cross God himself cried out in total success to Telestai. He said, it is finished, it's, it's completed, it's accomplished. My atoning work for you, the weak, had reached its end, its goal. The sinless one for us sinners, his death for our life, his suffering, our success. Or let St. Paul put it to you this way. When he writes, well, we were still without strength. Christ died for us. God hasn't changed his ways. It's still his way to work on the stage of feebleness, our feebleness. He still delights in turning the logic of the world on its head, not only saving us by way of the weakness of the cross, but then too by delivering to us what he's finished and now freely gives us by way of outwardly weak and seemingly foolish sacramental things. Yet seemingly weak things which he invests with the power of salvation. Indeed, a supper in which is born to you the very body and blood of the almighty God, Jesus Christ himself. Consider, too, that to the Corinthian Christians who were not, mind you, the power players of their cultural context, Paul, who seemed always to have in mind strengths and weaknesses, Paul said this to them. He said, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles, foolishness, but, but to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he goes on to say this to them, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Could we still say the same today? But he says, God has chosen the weak things of the world, the feeble things, to put to shame the things which are mighty. He still perfects his power in weakness. He still works in and through our weaknesses to drive us, to draw us or others to himself. He still works his successes through our suffering. For come with me to a frail and a feeble man's hospital room where just above the, the tones of medical machinery in the business of attending nurses, one can hear the old man's wife reading aloud to him under the light of, of an evening lamp, leading, reading to him God's scriptural promises to him. Where she says to him, Melvin, God, God is our refuge and strength, she reads to him, a very present help in trouble. Words that quietly arrest the attention of his nurse doing the routine vital checks. Words that remain with her, stick with her as she goes home to her troubled and crumbling life. His power he still makes perfect through our weaknesses or come with me to a room behind a closed door in which a grown man, once highly successful in all aspects of his life, now sits next to tears, trying to resolve, trying to cope with all that life is throwing at him, all the changes, insecurities in his job, marital troubles on top of it, self-doubt, 
And near broken, he concludes in a silent, prayerful sigh, I can't do it any longer. As God wrings out of him every last ounce of self-determination. And then, because a bruised reed he won't break, and a smoldering wick he won't snuff out, then God the Holy Spirit brings to his aching mind a promise recorded by Paul I can do all things through, through him who gives me strength. His power still fills the void of our weakness. Or come with me to where a man is standing at the headstone of a dear friend whom he watched get weaker and weaker and then die all too young. And there in the open solitude of that graveyard, the man is left to think. Think about a conviction in his dying Christian friend, a conviction that wouldn't die. Think about a, a hope that he harbored in a Jesus Christ of which he so often spoke. And now face to stony face with mortality, he's, he's moved by the memory of a quiet and yet an undying confession that lives on in his mind to want to know more. To want to know more about this Jesus who gave his friend such hope. His power still works through, through the greatest of our weaknesses. Or finally, come with me to an old house of an old couple. Their old bones now creak and groan almost as much as the house does. But with each creak and each groan through their daily weaknesses... And creaks and groans, God lifts the eyes of his aged saints on earth and directs them toward their longed-for home, their God-intended end in heaven, reminding his suffering saints that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory which is soon to be revealed to you. Friends, you know your thorn in the flesh. You also know God's grace is sufficient for you. And His grace has permitted your suffering in order to work through it for good in your life or for the eternal good, perhaps, in the life of another. And so with that in mind, it's far easier to confess with St. Paul, well then, gladly. Gladly, therefore, I'll boast all the more in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I'm weak, when I'm weak, then, it's then, in the strength of Christ, that I'm strong. In his name, amen.